Bridgebank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridgebank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridgebank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, improving the lives of California's children and youth at risk. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose family foundation advances the wiser use of energy and natural resources on a planet where everything is connected, on the web at theschmidt.org. This week on the California Report magazine, wildfires in Northern California are still burning. Among the thousands of evacuees are many whose homes and jobs have been destroyed. I've just never imagined I would see something like this ever in my life. A third-generation Santa Rosen worries about what will happen to the city after the fires are out. You know, the janitors and musicians and plumbers and surfers are, uh, I don't know if they're going to make it. The city is going to look a lot different. Farther north, the Yurok tribe is also coping with a communal loss. Record low numbers of salmon have tribe members worried. When we can't be in our river, when we can't eat our fish, it kind of takes our purpose away. I'm Susie Rocho, in for Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. We've increased containment on uh, most of our major fires by some degree, but we're not out of the woods yet. In Northern California, the week began with a sudden onslaught of flames whipped up by the wind. Multiple wildfires erupted across wine country. Now, even as firefighters continue to work, many residents are returning to see what's left. Kayla Swaim lost her family home in the Coffee Park neighborhood of Santa Rosa. She grew up in the house and had been living there with her boyfriend. The day after the fire, they came back to sift through the ashes and rubble. I've just never imagined I would see something like this ever in my life. And for it to happen in Santa Rosa, it's just shattering. This was the place, the only place in the world that I felt safe. And with all the chaos going on around the world, I knew that I could come home and I would be safe in my little bubble with my, my dogs and my boyfriend. And I'll miss waking up in the morning and opening the shutters and having the sun shine through and, and watering all my plants. I had so many plants and just it's those, those moments in, in time that I'll, I'll miss. And just the front yard, we had so many flowers. And so all these roots right here, that was all wisteria. And we had a, a brown fence that went all the way around the yard and purple flowers that grew all around the lemon tree that we had, which is now just sticks. This tree right here is the very first Christmas tree I ever had. And um, it's just amazing finding little bits and pieces of what managed to make it. Um, but it's not much. 
and then just a little bell that we had that was hanging. It was supposed to bring peace and love and I found it and all the dirt and I'm like, I'm gonna take that. Cause yeah. Where was it hanging? It was hanging in the front room with all of my, you know, favorite little, like all my crystals and my candles and all the things that bring love and positive energy. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, you know, crazy to find this sitting there. Yeah. Um, I just really hope we can find a few other things, but I doubt it. Everything's <sighs> broken and burnt. But it was beautiful here. And now it's this. Thirty-seven-year-old Marisol Paniagua is from Mexico. She's lived in the Santa Rosa area since 1995, and her three kids were born here. Before the fire, she was planning to pick grapes at a winery near Calistoga. She thinks it's probably burned down. She's living at an evacuation center south of the fires in San Rafael. I don't know what's going to happen to us because we worked in the vineyards, but now they say all that's gone, burned down. I don't know what's going to happen. The fire got us now when we don't have any savings. It's really hard. We just have a little gas in the car. That's what we're driving around with. But we don't have anything. We have a car, but it's not even paid off. So those of us who were pushed out of our houses, without money or work, what are we going to do? We don't even have a place to run to. We have to ask God and have faith. As long as we're alive, we're okay. Fernando Mora arrived in Santa Rosa just 10 days before the fires broke out. Mora had been painting houses in another town, but decided to move to the area because a friend told him there was plenty of work picking grapes. You get scared. You see the moon, so red. And the flames look like arms flying through the sky. At night, I saw the moon red, red, red. And then the sky turned red and the whole city filled with smoke, black smoke covered like clouds. On Facebook, they were looking for volunteers to get some horses out of different ranches, ranches on the edge of the city where the fire was already burning. And a friend and I said, let's go. For me, it felt, I don't know, good. We started to see a lot of support, the unity among Latinos, helping each other and our animals get out. It was sad. The fire was really bad. I'm single, so I can move where there's work and start over. Ray Signorello owns a winery just north of Napa. Signorello Estates has 42 acres of grapevines, which survived. But the fire gutted a large building that includes the winery, his family's home, and a restaurant where tourists could have a private dinner paired with wines. Obviously, we can't do that for a while, um, but we still have wine to sell, and uh, that part of our business will continue, and we will rebuild this. Um, you know, I look at the big takeaway here is nobody got hurt. I still have my vineyards, which is the most important part of this. Um, without vineyards, you're, out, you're not in the business. You know, where after I knew everybody was safe, my worry was, what about the vineyards? Because these vineyards are 28 years old in some cases and 38 years old in some other cases, 
old vines, low yields, great wine. That's what makes our wine what it is. And if you lose those, it takes a long time to get there again, right? Um, in my lifetime, I'm 54, another 38 years, I don't know if I got that in me, right? So uh, luckily we, uh, you know, our vineyards, as you can see, they're, they're, they're intact. And, and the, the tank area is intact and the barrels are, look to be intact at least so far. So, you know, could have been a lot worse, but a lot of other people are dealing with this in, in a bigger way. Some people are losing their homes, a lot of homes, other wineries, um, and it's a, we're a tough breed, though, the, the wine community, and we also stick together. So I think, I'd say I would be surprised if not close to everybody gets back on their horse and builds their winery and gets back in the business, and, uh, you know, that's what I'm going to do. That was winemaker Ray Signorello, vineyard workers Fernando Moro, and Marisol Paniagua, and artist Kayla Swaim. KZST 100.1 on the FM dial usually streams a comfortable mix of pop songs, plus news, talk, and weather. Sonoma County's KZST, it is 821, Brent Ferris Morning Show, Graham. Uh, on the show this morning, we have a guy with a nickname. But after fires broke out across Sonoma County, KZST dropped both music and ads and started broadcasting fire information 24-7. Nina Gensler-Debs takes us there. Early Monday morning, KZST owner Gordon's lot was sure his station was about to burn to the ground. From the office window, he could see flames just a few feet behind the building. We've been here for almost 35 years, and uh, this is my whole life right here. I was fully prepared to walk away and have the building be in ashes. Employees evacuated Monday morning, but came back in to save what they could. Zlot and his staff fought encroaching flames with fire extinguishers until the fire department finally arrived. Once the station was safe, there was no question about what they had to do. And the team at KZST really got to work. If you've got information that we don't have, if it's real information, not that you've heard it from a friend of a friend, but that you've really seen, we want to talk to you. Starting about midday on Monday, Zlot and his staff cut all regularly scheduled programming, and even the ads, on KZST and its four affiliate stations across Sonoma County. They've been airing nothing but live coverage of the wildfires around the clock. was in uh, a couple of grocery stores in Windsor, and they were out of stuff. Are you out of stuff? Do you have a lot of stuff? What, what is it's been tough to get reliable information here in Santa Rosa. For some residents, radio is all they have. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I'm double-checking. Are we evacuating inside your building? When I walk into the station on Tuesday evening, all the cubicles are dark. Offices, empty. Everyone is either in the studio broadcasting or darting in and out to bring information to the on-air hosts. Here, it truly is all hands on deck. If you are up on the hills in Bennett Valley, you need to be evacuating. I know you don't want to lose your home. Nobody would want to, but... Uh, life over property. That's Frank Colbertus. He's the station's regional ad sales manager. 
On-air time is not part of his job description. But today, he's been live for hours, taking calls and giving out his personal cell phone number. 843-816-7253 is my text if you've got information. That loud buzzing noise you hear under Colbertus, that's a fan. It smells pretty smoky in the studio. Thank goodness to Eric who just got the fan going in here because it's been amazingly hot. We're, we're running off a generator. so Much of the news has been coming from listeners texting or calling in to share what they're seeing or experiencing. Hosts read information on shelter capacity or school closures scribbled on pieces of paper. The fan keeps blowing the paper off the desk, so they have to snatch them out of the air or scoop them off the ground, all while relaying information. We are low-tech right now, doing everything as quickly as we possibly can. Even for a veteran host like Darren McCormick, this is uncharted territory. You know, I, I play music, I have trivia, I talk about, you know, events and, and things like that, but I'm, I'm not used to sitting in a chair talking for hours and hours about, about tragedy. And the tragedy, it's also his own. Minutes before he sat down with me, McCormick learned he can't go home. His neighborhood is now an evacuation zone. He looks exhausted. It's, this has been a nightmare. I was saying earlier when I first came on the air, I said, can I wake up now? Yeah. Wake me up. And even though the fires are still nowhere near contained, Station owner Gordon's lot says we need to think ahead to California's next major disaster, like an earthquake. You know, you're not going to have cell. You're not going to have power. You won't have anything. What do you do? Now, you might have the radio. And that's where we come in. If you tune in, you may hear hosts yelling into the other room, asking someone to move their car because fires are getting closer. Or you may hear a psychotherapist talking about the messy and painful stages of grief. On Wednesday, KZST's generator failed. Staff scrambled to find another backup power source, but they were only off air for about an hour and a half before they were back. So we're going to be with you uh, throughout the evening and uh, as long as we need to be to keep you informed about what's happening with the wildfires that are raging throughout Sonoma County. For the California Report, I'm Nina Gensler-Debs in Santa Rosa. A longtime member of the KQED family was among the thousands who evacuated the fast-moving fires. Arts editor Gabe Moline lives in Santa Rosa with his wife and daughter. When they left their house, they grabbed their emotional treasures, the things that are truly irreplaceable. Photos, old letters, and their cat. The family is fortunate their house survived. But Gabe is a third-generation Santa Rosan and the fires have devastated the landscape where he grew up and the sentimental landmarks that make a city his hometown. Places like the Fountain Grove Round Barn. One night when Gabe was a teen, he snuck inside with his friends. Or Coffee Park, where just two weeks ago he brought his daughter to play. He's been writing about the loss of these community markers for KQED and joins us now. Hi, Gabe. How are you doing? Hi, Susie. Um, it, it's tough up here, uh, but at least the fires have uh, subsided for now, um, and the sense of panic is finally gone for, for Santa Rosa, I think. And I know you commute from your home in Santa Rosa three days a week. Sometimes those are nights to cover the art scene in San Francisco and around the Bay. On a good day, that's nearly 90 minutes, you know, one way. Why did you want to live in Santa Rosa? What makes it so special for you? Um, I wouldn't leave Santa Rosa for anything. Um, 
you know, people say that Santa Rosa has an identity crisis, that it, it can't decide whether it wants to be a big city or a small town. Uh, but to me, it always feels like a small town. That might be because I've been here my whole life um, and three generations of my family have been here. I, it might be because uh, a lot of these places that burned down, I knew when they were just fields. That rural feel is still here in the people and the community. You know, we still do our social networking uh, on the streets of downtown. We sit at Max Deli over breakfast and share the paper and talk about what's going on. Uh, the, there's places here still with the honor system. You know, it's it's like Bedford Falls in a way, really. And this week you wrote an essay for KQED Arts uh, called My City is on Fire. And you talk a lot about the lifetime of memories that you have that are associated with places in Santa Rosa, you know, where your mom bought your school clothes or uh, where you formed your first band. Uh, these are places that you note in the essay that are gone now. How do you think the city is going to rebuild that identity? I mean, can it? Do you think the city's going to bounce back and rebuild? Um, it can rebuild. It will rebuild. I mean, property values are too high not to. Um, but whether it will bounce back, which to me means regaining its spirit. I don't really know. I mean, the, the city has been on a transition from the Redwood Empire to wine country for a while. Uh, a lot of our culture has already been replaced with the food and wine industry, which is a culture for the elite. You know, the, the wealthy will be able to stay. And everyone else is we've already had a 1% vacancy rate in housing rents are already skyrocketing and overnight we have thousands of people needing homes so you know the janitors and musicians and plumbers and servers are uh, i don't know if they're going to make it the city is going to look a lot different is there anything you would want people who don't know Santa Rosa to know um, just that it touches everybody in some way, you know, uh, Natalie Wood, the Hollywood actress lived here when she was a kid. And, uh, after she moved down to Hollywood, she would send letters back to her friend, Art Cannavari. He's my ravioli guy. He may, still makes ravioli in town. She, uh, used to say in her letters how much she missed Santa Rosa. And I'm hearing that same thing from people all over the country this week. You know, everyone who's been here. Uh, carries a piece of Santa Rosa with them when they leave. Have you been able to relax at all this week? I mean, is there any kind of sense of normalcy for you or your family right now? You know, just when you think that you can, the phone beeps, the phone rings, you hear another uh, Nixle alert from the Sheriff's Department about an evacuation. They announced the names of the deceased, and we had uh, we had figured that we might know some people. Angela Drive, the street that I grew up on until I was 14. We lived in this small house. It was actually a chicken coop when my parents bought it, and my dad is a carpenter, and he built onto it room by room to turn it into a family house for us. And Angela Drive is decimated. Um, and we heard that there were some fatalities on that street. Uh, it turns out that uh, it's the people who lived two houses down from us who still live there. Um, there were two more fatalities up on the top of Reebley Road, which are the parents of uh, a childhood friend. You know, I bought my first car from them. So it's it hits close to home. Uh, it hits very close to home. Thanks so much for joining us, Gabe. All Stay right. safe. Thank you, Susie. We will.
Gabe Moline is online editor for KQED Arts. His essay, My City is on Fire, is at our website, californiareport.org. And now, another community facing a devastating loss, the Yurok tribe. For centuries, the tribe has lived along and fished the Klamath River in California's far north. But this fall, the number of Chinook salmon making their way up the Klamath is the smallest on record. Salmon's essential to the Yurok. It doesn't just represent food or livelihood. Salmon is life. For the series California Foodways, Lisa Morehouse went north to Yurok country. Do you want to put that net right there, John? I'm with cousins Erica Chavez and Jerome Nick Jr. They both work for the Yurok Tribal Fisheries Department, and they're patrolling the Klamath, where the river flows into the Pacific Ocean. Nick perches in the front of the boat with Chavez at the helm. Where are we headed? The mouth. Check to see if there's any tribal members fishing. Yeah. Then we're going to head up to the bridge see if there's anybody else up there. But Chavez and Nick are also volunteering, catching salmon for tribal elders. It's the only fishing allowed this year. No fish. They stop to check a net. No fish. The cousins are alone on the water today. But in a normal year, during commercial fishing season... This whole area is practically almost all the way, with nets all the way up to the bridge. I mean, this year is so different. Yeah, it's like a ghost town out here because there's nobody out. (laughs) Unlike a lot of Yurok, Nick didn't grow up fishing. He moved here six years ago to get away from family drama in Oregon. Now, when he's not working the overnight shift at Walmart, he's on the water. And how was it, learning how to fish as an adult? It was hard at first, but what year was it that I pulled in that 50-pound salmon? 2011, I think. Chavez tells me she grew up with her family camping right here for the summer. My partner was my auntie. She's the one that taught me. And our whole bottom of our boat was just filled with fish. A rich salmon harvest means covering the basics. I mean, it it feeds our family. When commercial's here, we use that money to buy our kids school clothes. Chavez usually fishes for her grandma. Get her at least 10 to 15 fish every year. So it's in her freezer for the whole year. But not this year. She'll have to deal with deer meat or elk meat or something. This is the 55th Annual Salmon Festival. We'd like to welcome everybody. The parade is underway. Thousands of Yurokan friends gather every August for the tribe's Salmon Festival. There's a parade. And a stick game that looks to my untrained eye like a cross between wrestling and field hockey. There's a card game with men singing songs for good luck. And true to the festival's name, there's salmon, cooked in the traditional Yurok way. Around the edge of a long, narrow fire pit, salmon skewered on redwood sticks form a kind of crown. Oscar Jensaw monitors the scene wearing a t-shirt that reads, Fish Boss. When you first start cooking, you get those uh, fat ring around the fish, just like a ring on a tree. So then when that fat starts dripping out of each of those rings, then that's when you know that side's done. 
Jensaw grew up in Klamath and has three sons and a baby daughter. My main goal is just to be able to pass this on to my boys. So one day I can just be the ultimate fish boss and sit on the side while they cook. So, <laughs> But he wants to teach them with salmon caught in the Klamath, not the fish he's cooking with today. These come from Alaska. The tribe had to buy the salmon the first time in festival history. Tribal Councilman Joe James is hanging out by the fire pit. Last year, we thought our fishing season was really, really low, and this year is a record one, unfortunately, on the wrong end. So few Chinook were expected to return to spawn this year that commercial fishing was shut down to protect them. Yurok were allowed to catch just over 600 salmon in a tribe of 6,000. Those low numbers are the end result of drought, disease, and a long history of habitat destruction. Yurok placed much of the blame on upstream dams that have blocked salmon from ancient spawning grounds for over a century. After years of debate and struggle, four dams are set to be removed by 2020, says James. We are uh, 2020, look forward for those dams to come down so we could uh, start the, uh, the process of uh, you know, healing our river. So with healing that river, it comes back with, with our salmon and our animals. In the parade, Analia Hillman commands the megaphone for the Klamath Justice Coalition. She says tribes along the Klamath have had to fight logging, gold mining, the dams, and now a proposed natural gas pipeline. If we're putting our water at risk like that, we're putting life on earth at risk. Hillman's a youth social worker. She says the river's poor health and the low salmon run impacts the whole Yurok culture and way of life. When we can't be in our river, when we can't eat our fish, it kind of takes our purpose away. And, and we have one of the highest suicide rates. I mean, we're in a state of emer- emergency for suicide, and I think that's directly correlated to, to the lack of salmon and our inability to continue our way of life. The Yurok have fought for years to maintain their ties to the Klamath River and its salmon. In the 1960s, game wardens arrested many Yurok again and again for gillnet fishing on the river, a practice banned by the state. One young man, Raymond Matz, challenged the arrests. His fight went to the U.S. Supreme Court, which reaffirmed the tribe's reservation status and fishing rights. Want to try some? Just start at the end. This is lemon pepper. Thank you. His nephew, Paul Matz Van Mecklen, runs Paul's famous smoked salmon on Highway 101. Customers know he's open if there's smoke coming from the traditional fire pit in front. My Weber, my Yurok Weber. He started this shop 16 years ago after his grandma came to him in a dream. That's the stuff. Well, Chinook salmon, garlic flavor, cracked pepper, teriyaki. Lemon pepper. Where do you usually get your stock from? Klamath River. Not the last two years, though. Had to go to Columbia River. Hundreds of miles away in Oregon, buying from native fishermen there. Gas and payment for fish, those are big expenses for a business owner who usually fishes about 50 feet away from here. But the losses from not fishing, they go deeper than just finances. Like I got a a niece, great niece with me. She's only two. But, you know, she helped start up the boat, you know, smiled and did all that last year. But 
her auntie was five when she pulled in a fish. So that whole part of learning and teaching them who they are and what's, what this river gives to them is kind of life in one way. I asked Vemeklin to tell me more about that one point, that fishing is who Yurok are. He gets emotional, even stepping out of the store for a minute before answering. So who am I? I had my grandma at a young age tell me that I had fish blood. Didn't understand it, didn't know why, but, you know, we're all fishing people. You know, you got to look down where we're from. And when you have fish blood and have to stay away from fishing in hopes of keeping salmon here in the future? Yeah, it's sad to stay next to the river and wake up and not see fish go by. That's the saddest part bad enough you dream about it. He says all he can do is pray the salmon come back. For the California Report, I'm Lisa Morehouse in Klamath. This piece was produced in collaboration with the Food and Environment Reporting Network, a nonprofit investigative news organization. And that's the California Report magazine, a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. The technical producer is Seal Muller, with additional engineering from Katie McMurrin. Special thanks this week to Sasha Coca, Farida Javala Romero, Suki Lewis, and Danielle Venton. The senior editor is Victoria Malion. I'm Susie Rocho. Thanks for listening. This is the California Report magazine, your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from Barracuda Networks, cloud-ready firewalls engineered for today's next-generation business networks. Learn more at barracuda.com slash cloudready. The James Irvine Foundation, expanding economic and political opportunity for Californians who are working but struggling with poverty. More at irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose family foundation advances the wiser use of energy and natural resources on a planet where everything is connected, on the web at theschmidt.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.